We're going to go to Exodus 20 again this morning. We've been kind of diving into the uh, Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And, and this morning's message I simply titled The Name. And uh, I kind of touched on this a little bit Wednesday night and uh, shared some of, some of what I was talking about this morning Wednesday night. But today's focus is in chapter 20, verse 7. And uh, it's very familiar. We, we have heard this commandment. We've heard this prohibition for a long time. And uh, I've got these subpoints. And the first subpoint is misuse because I want to read it out of the King James and then we'll read it out of the NIV. Um, the Hebrew word for God is in the very first verse of the Bible. Bereshev bara Elohim. God created. In the beginning, God created. So it takes us five words to interpret and translate the Hebrew three words. That God created all things. And everything flows from that. The very next chapter appears the name of God. God, Elohim, is not his name. It's a reference to him being God. His name is what you see on the screen. Down at the bottom there, that, that's, that's written like from left to right. Uh, and, and if it's actual Hebrew, the, the Yod would be on the right hand because they write it from right to left. But this is just consonants, Y-H-W-H. And so there's two ways to pronounce that, and really we don't know how the Hebrews pronounced the name of God because most of them thought the name of God was, this name was too holy to even say so they would uh, use Adonai, which is Lord or Elohim. And sometimes Elohim is, is with this, the Lord God. It's almost always translated Lord in the Old Testament. New King James, or the King James Version, this appears over 6,000 times as Lord. So this is a prominent name. This is the name of God. We're going to talk a little bit about what is in that name. Why was this name so holy that the Hebrew people were even cautious of saying it. It is the name of God. Elohim is the designation that God, even Elohim is used for false gods. When he said in the very first commandment, thou shalt have no other God, gods, it's Elohim. It's the same as in the beginning Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So this is, we're going to look at this designation this morning. The first sub-point is about misuse. Let me read it out of the King James and then we'll go to the NIV. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And there again is this YHWH, Jehovah, Jehovah, or Yahweh. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord, Jehovah, thy God in vain. For the Lord, and if you're, if you're in the King James, when it's all in capital letters, it is the name of God. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. If you have the NIV, it reads like this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, um, Eugene Peterson does this with it. No using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. So we're going to go with misuse because that's really a little bit more because I'm not going to ask you to have a show of hands, but when you've heard this commandment or even a reference to it, 
How many of you thought that it was talking about profanity or cursing, using God's name in a cursing way? In the South, we say cussing, okay? And we, we kind of like, it repels us when you hear people use God's name in vain in that way. But that's just one way of looking at this, this commandment. In fact, I, I don't think that is really what God was saying to the Hebrew people. And I said this back in our prayer room before we came out. Uh, you know, who uses God's name in vain? Hopefully no one in this room does. Because I don't think God was telling his people, Israel, don't go around cussing and using my name that way. Because he, look what he deals with. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I'm the only God you will have. You know, and don't make any graven image. And by the way, don't go around cussing. You see how it's probably not that meaning. And I think when you look deeper to it, it doesn't have that meaning. It doesn't mean cursing or profanity. I know this is the way we've looked at it. But let's, let's look a little bit deeper into this word vanity. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, or as the NIV says, misuse it. What does that mean? What does the misuse mean or vanity? Vanity, shav, comes from a word meaning to empty its meaning, to empty its worth, an emptiness or worthlessness. So he's telling the people of Israel, do not throw my name around in a useless manner or irreverent manner. Do not use my name in any way other than the, the way it should be used, and that is revered and made holy. Jehovah appears all through the New Testament. And where does Jehovah come from? Where does that name of God come from? Well, it comes from Exodus chapter 3. And it's a burning bush. Moses sees this burning bush, draws closer to it because it doesn't burn up in an arid desert and it should have just been like poof, gone. But it just kept burning and burning. And as he got closer, a voice came out of the burning bush and it was nothing but the presence of God telling him to come near but to take off his sandals because he was on holy ground. But as, as he gets there, God begins to talk to him. He's 80 years of age. He's a fugitive from Egypt. He killed, he murdered an Egyptian man, and he's hiding out in a far-off country as a wanted criminal. And God tells him, go back and tell your people, the descendants of Abraham, that the God of your fathers has sent me to deliver you. And Moses says this, well, what if I do that? And they say, well, what is his name? Well, you know the answer to that, right? You tell them, what? I am that I am. And it comes from, and Jehovah comes from that verb, to be. I am the existing one. If you looked up the meaning of Jehovah, it would say something like this. The existing one. That's what it means. The one who is always, has been, always is. In fact, you don't even use future or past tense. Just like when Jesus talked about before Abraham was, I am. He's, he said that in the present tense, meaning I am eternal. I've never had a beginning. I've always been. I had a beginning in the humanity part, in the conception in Mary's womb, and the birth of the Son of God becoming flesh. It's really amazing to me when 
I'm studying for these things, how things just pop up. I've been, I've been researching this, and some of the Chi Alpha leadership put me on to uh, the Bible Project. And uh, they've been talking about Elohim. Well, I decided to just check it uh, in the last day or so. And the last uh, session that they have posted on their podcast was, What's God's name? And it was all about Yahweh, Jehovah. And I was like, how about that? The minute I'm trying, and I'm trying to kind of not revamp my message just because of what they, they were sharing. But one of the things that kind of he stood out to me in that discussion, this panel discussion, when he says, you will not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. But in the King James, it says, do not take. It means do not carry my name forward in a irreverent manner. And the next point has to do with identity. And this is why I think we look at this commandment in a wrong way. If all we look at it is we shouldn't be using curse words, especially putting God's name with it. But it means so much more than that. He's talking about when they would carry the name of the Lord into the land of promise, they would actually be representing him. And you could say this commandment is God saying to him, do not misrepresent me. You're a believer. You're, you carry the name of Jesus. Do you realize that? You carry the name of Jesus. And how you act at the customer service desk matters. How you act in the fast food drive through window matters. Take any TFA decal off of your car <laughs> if you lose your temper on McFarland Boulevard. You know, look at your car. If you say, smile, Jesus loves you, and you're blowing your horn, shaking your fist at someone. Oh. You know, why? It's because we represent him. And if we represent him wrongly, that's this commandment. We're violating this. We're say, he's saying to us, you carry my name. I give you my name. This is your new identity. And I want you to see the verse on the screen about this new identity. Exodus 6, 7, I believe, is the one on there. He said, I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. And the reason this commandment is so special is that God is talking to his people. He's not talking to Canaanites and all these wicked people. He's talking to Abraham's descendants, the people he's embraced he said, I will be your God, then you will know that I am the Lord your God <clears throat> who brought you out of, from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So he's giving them his name, just like adoptive parents give the child they adopt their name. Now they're known by the child of them. And this is the same thing God is saying to them. People will know you that you belong to the one Lord God, the one who created all things, when, when you carry my name in there, you're identifying with me, and I'm identifying with you. So don't blow it. Don't go in and haphazardly misrepresent me. Exodus 3.15 says this, and this is right after, right after Moses says, well, what if they ask, what's his name, and what I tell them? He says, you tell them I am that I am has sent, sent you. And in the very next verse, this is Exodus 3.15, God then says to Moses this, Say to the Israelites, say to my people, The Lord Jehovah, your God, the God of your fathers, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. It's unmistakable that God told Moses how he would be named for the people of Israel. It would be Yahweh, Jehovah. It would be the existing one. That's the one. That's his name. And he says, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. He says, this is to be passed down to your children. This is my name. Now, I'm trying to squeeze in a lot of stuff this morning. This is really good. We got, man, we got all kind of time. But here's, here's my challenge. There's so much here that I would love to preach and only have a little bit of time. So I'm going to try to talk real fast, just like I do at weddings. So nobody likes long weddings, so I do, do that at weddings, especially when it's starting to sprinkle on us. And then I really speed up. So I want to go to the next sub point, and this really is a big deal in this commandment. It's a thing about trust. God gives us his name. And he gives us his name so that we will trust him. That we will lean on him. That we will put our confidence in him. I want to take you, well, this psalm is such a good psalm. Look at verse 7. Have you heard this before? <laughs> some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord Jehovah Elohim. Some trust in this physical power to defend us, but that cannot be who we trust in. We trust in something more than our physical defenses. And if, you go, if you're there at Psalm 20, what a great psalm. In fact, it's so good, I'm going to read the whole psalm to you. May the Lord, and again, listen to this. May the Lord, this is Jehovah, may the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. That's Yahweh, Jehovah. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart. Anybody like to say, I signed me up for that. But the desires of our heart should be tempered by his will and purpose, right? May he give you the desire of your, your heart. May your May all your plans succeed. May you shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God, that's Jehovah. May the Lord Jehovah grant all your requests. Now this I know, this is verse 6, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from the heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise and stand firm. Lord Jehovah, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. What is he talking about? When we pray. When we petition him. This is what this whole psalm is about. To trust in God, not like way away from us, but to trust in God right here, right where I'm at, right in the situation I'm in. When I'm petitioning God, he says, you can trust in the name of the Lord, Jehovah God. He is speaking to the people about trusting him, 
trusting his character. This is the thing about the name of God. It's about who he is, the essence of who he is, the eternal one, the omnipotent, all-knowing, holy and righteous, loving God. No shadow or variables with him. There's no lack. You cannot add anything to him. He doesn't need anything. Never has needed. He made us because he wanted to make us. He wants fellowship with us because he wants fellowship. He does not need our fellowship. Dick Brogdon put it out, God doesn't need us, but he causes. God has no needs. He doesn't need you to do the work. He calls you to do the work, and we're the one who misses when we don't do it. He's going he's to be perfect in all of his ways. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we are actually putting our prayer on the basis of the character of Jesus. Not just putting those words at the end of our prayer as an appendix that we say. When he says, pray in my name, he's talking about pray in the authority of who I am. Not simply saying the words. I don't know about you, but sometimes you have to say the words to try to believe, right? I need to believe, Lord, so I'm going to pray this in the name of Jesus. We may think the commandment, number three, the third commandment, is a prohibitive prohibition of misusing the name of the Lord but in reality this is what God is stressing in this commandment that his name is holy and we should embrace it his name is righteous and we should honor it I'm going to take you to the fourth sub point praise and man we can spend some time here I didn't say anything to the praise team because there's so many praise songs I could have come up with like your name your name is victory. I was like, I'm not going to suggest they sing that. And they didn't sing it. But the second song had it in there. Because praise is all about the name of the Lord, praising who he is. Psalm 135. Look at these first three verses. I think they're up here on the screen. Praise the Lord. That's Jehovah. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, how do we praise the name of the Lord? It's recognizing who he is and that he is worthy. I want to tell you, no matter what we did a while ago during praise and worship, he is holy and just and righteous, and, and he's okay. It's up to us to enter into his presence and let him pour his presence into us. We don't have to praise. We don't have to do anything, but we get to. We get to praise him. We get to enter into this communion with him, this fellowship, this koinonia with him where his presence invades our lives. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter really what we're singing. It matters the posture of our heart. And this is what he's talking about. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord. You who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. In the first three verses of this psalm, Jehovah is mentioned six times. I believe he wants us to praise him. I'm just kind of getting that influence here. Praise, sing praises. The, the uh, second song is... I'm going to lift my hands till I can reach heaven. I'm going to shout your name till the walls come falling down. I've come to worship. I've come to worship him. I haven't come to just simply check off Sunday. 
I've come to fellowship with him. And you think of all the wonderful songs. Jesus, 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 what? There's just something about that name. It's the same dynamic. It's who he is that draws us to him. Donna Atkins wrote a song, and it's kind of like she covers the whole, this is a long time probably some of you since you've sung this. Father, we adore you. Lay our life before you. How I love you. And it's about singing praise to the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the Son of God. It's about including the Trinity in our worship. Stephen Curtis Chapman went to Psalm 20 about chariots and horses, and he wrote a whole song. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name of the Lord. Talk about repetition. His love never fails. His name will always prevail. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. And like I said, your name, your name is victory. All through the Bible, it's talking about us praising God, lifting up our adoration of him and extolling him, who he is. Lyrics matter to me. I'm not really keen. I remember Dan Betzer just mess, messed up a worship song I really like. He is a song, I Can Feel the Brush of Angels' Wings. I really like that song. Dan Betzer said, we wouldn't know the brush of angel wings if it slapped us in the face. <laughs> I don't know why, why you say that. That's a nice song. But he was going over lyrics, lyrics that are kind of superficial. He was just, he was kind of criticizing that song. I, well, I like that song. But he had a point, right? When the lyrics are about who God is, about his nature, his character, his concern and, and love for us, his healing, his power, and you can be drawn into that through worship. That's what it's about, right? And here's the last one. Salvation. Joel chapter 2 prophesied way in advance of the day of Pentecost that there was coming a day when God would not recognize the division between Jew and Gentile, bond or free, rich or poor, male or female, that his kingdom would bridge all tribes and groups this is Joel's prophecy. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. The, the old will dream dreams. And he would say, this will be the move of God, the latter-day move of God. And Peter got up and preached on the day of Pentecost says, this is what Joel was talking about. And in Joel's uh, passage in chapter 2, you see it up here. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord our God will be saved. Whoever. Now, it's like Joel was a Jewish prophet, but yet he probably didn't even realize that he was prophesying a day when all those distinctives would be pushed aside. And the one distinctive that matters is that whoever, whoever, regardless of who they are, where they've come from, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in Romans 10, 13, I think it's Romans 10, 13, Paul jumps in on this. And there was not a, a, a man that really breathed and lived the separation of Judaism from everybody else. But God had to break his defenses down, and he wrote the same word. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe that? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, hey, that, that's a pretty simple way to salvation, isn't it? I've shared this before, but probably some of you haven't heard this story. <clears throat> it was in Jackson, Jackson, Alabama. And Paul Slater came to preach a revival there. And uh, 
he told me, and he, he, was, he was a drunk. He wandered into a Baptist church in New York, and uh, God got hold of his life. He later got baptized in the Holy Spirit, started preaching, was all over the country preaching revivals. He's now with the Lord. But Paul Slater came to Jackson, and he came up to me, and he says, who is the worst person in this town that you know of that needs Jesus? I'm not going to call their name. He did, he, he did get saved, and now he's with the Lord. But I says, I know exactly who to talk to. This guy's a hopeless alcoholic. So we go to their mobile home, knock on the door. Paul Slater was a former AAU wrestler. He's just massive. And he walks in, <clears throat> and he begins to talk to this guy, sitting in the chair. And he says, son... Boy, this is not EE. This is not any kind of, uh, this is not an evangelism explosion uh, model. I, I don't know about this model. This is Paul Slater's model. He walks in, hardly any introduction. Son, do you believe that if you call on the name of the Lord, he will save you? Well, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that. Well, call on him, son. Call on him. Right now, call on him. He's like, call Lord, save me. He said, Lord, save me. No, that's not calling. Call on him like you're dying, like you're drowning, son. Lord, save me. Oh, now you're getting there. And he's like, and he, and he just kept, and all of a sudden tears are right in his face, and he's praying, oh, God, save me. And he got, his, got saved. I'm watching this. I thought, I couldn't do that, but I'm not a former AAU wrestler. The guy was scared to death not to pray. You know, he... He had an evangelism tool that I didn't have. I was like, I'd get popped in the face if I tried that. But he, he, he knew what he was. He knew who he was before Jesus got a hold of his life. And he says, I know God can save the worst of sinners. And that old boy was in church the next Sunday. He was saved. The most radical, soul-winning experience I've ever seen. Never seen anything like it. But he believed Slater believed that if someone genuinely did what Joel 2 says and Romans 10 says, that the Lord will honor that call and save them. Not maybe, not might, not later, but they will encounter the Lord because that promise works. You call on the name of the Lord and he will save you. You know what? I don't know. Maybe we need an old-fashioned revival of repentance of sobbing. I shared my testimony with someone when, just yesterday. Stopped in. And I, I told her about how the Lord saved me. And, and what, what all, all that happened. Because I think the woman has made a commitment to the Lord. But I just wanted to tell her that Jesus wants to be real to you. He doesn't want to be something out here that is our ticket to heaven and that when we die we have somewhat of a hope that we'll go to heaven. He wants to be here. He wants to surround you. And you think about this, and the praise team can come up. You think about this. God is so in identity with us that he told through Solomon when the dedication of the temple took place in 2 Chronicles. He says, listen, this temple is going to be where I meet with people. But if they get away from me and I pull back my presence and they endure 
the destruction of their lives. He said, this is my promise to them. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name, he never said that they weren't his people. He said, I identify with them, but I have to call them out of that. I'm calling them out of that. So if they will call on me, if they will humble themselves and seek my face, turn, this is repentance, turn from their ways. You know, I think there's things about us that if we let God talk to us, I think he'll say, you need to, you need to let go of that. Maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's guilt, maybe it's shame, maybe it's hatred. Maybe somebody's done you wrong and you just can't let it go. Or maybe it's like a split-second flip of the lever anger. And parents discipline their children when they shouldn't discipline in that state of mind, in that passion. God, we, we can go on and say, well, that's just the way I am. Well, maybe God wants to change you. Maybe he wants you to reflect him more. Maybe he wants me to reflect him more. And when we really open our lives to him, and say, Lord, where, where is it you want me to become more like you? Where is it in how I handle criticism? Do I fly off the handle? Or I'm impatient? I don't have a problem with impatience, do I, Brenda? She looks at me like... I feel like the Holy Spirit's talking to me through her. But if we're, do we want God to be honest with us? That's what I'm asking. Do you, do you really want the Lord to be so honest with you that he begins to shine a light? It's kind of like someone who's painted a wall in, in like low light, and then they flip on the whole room. What do you see? You see all the blemishes. You see all the defects. And what God, I think, wants to do, if we'll give him permission, it says, Lord, shine your light on me and show me, am I lacking here? Am I lacking trust here? Am I, am I really wrong how I handle my, handling my finances? How, am I wrong in how I deal with my family? Am I wrong with how I'm dealing with people I work with? Would you stand with me? Lord, I pray for healing this morning. But I just pray that you, Jehovah God, the, the eternal existing one, wants to be the I am in our lives, the present one in our life, not a connection to our past and not a hope just for our future, but right now, Lord, on this Sunday morning, October 21, Lord, would you just make yourself real to us? And if he's beginning to speak to you right now about something maybe this week that he suddenly pricked that and said, I want to change that in your life, would you move out from where you're standing and just come and stand here? Because I'm telling you, he shows me many, many times where I, I need to give that to him. I need to trust that to him. Change that in me, Lord. I don't, I don't, you might have trouble trusting people, but it starts with trusting the Lord. Not trusting in chariots or horses, not trusting in the apparatus around us, our defense systems that we have access to, but trust in him if you're if you're struggling to trust in him for something bring that to him ask him this morning lord help me 
help me just to lean on you and not on my resources not to trust my mind and my intellect but to trust your promise Lord